This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I will be damned if the same politicians who refused to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. And correction. Hello, everybody. It's me, Ms. Cracker, and I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, because it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a Woman, and for the people who love them. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. Caitlin, hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I feel like you're very chipper and I'm kind of tired and moody. You know what I mean? (laughs) No, which is funny because I got exactly (laughs) no sleep last night. I was awake thinking about... My New Year's resolutions. Is that really what you were awake thinking about? I was awake. I was like, God, oh my gosh, I have to improve <laughs> my life. I have to change my life. And uh, so I didn't get any sleep, but you got a, an effective amount of sleep, I feel. I did. Well, I think that's why I think you're like punch drunk. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's like a phrase, right? When you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just like, woo. You're like, you're losing it. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> By the time we get to our gig tonight, I'm uh, going to be completely dead. Yeah, it'll switch. Yeah. You know? Um, and then I'll get on the dance floor and I'll be like, woo, again. <laughs> and then I'll get home and I'll be like, oh, God, I have to go to bed. And then I'll do one more thing and then I'll be like, woo, I'm awake. And then, and then you then won't the get any sleep. Yeah. All over again. But anyway, I was thinking about our upcoming year. At the time that we're recording this, it's December, but this will be airing in the beginning of a new year. And so I wanted to talk to you about what some of your goals are. I know, like, I'll say for me personally, I'm sure that we both have goals of reading and goals of fitness and everything, but I want to hear what yours are. You're right about the reading. So my goal for last year was read 50 books. And how many books did you read, Caitlin? 
I'm on like book 63 right now. You're an, a crazy person. That's more so, than a book every week. Yeah. So for next year. And we're I not w- talking about skinny books either. <laughs> no. So for next year, I want to read 75 books. So let me up the. Jesus Christ. Push myself a little bit more now that I know that I can do um, 50 books. Um, I want to be in the best shape of my life. I want to be like, I want to be like athlete shape you know oh she wants yeah. to be women's gold medalist <laughs> yeah well maybe kickboxing yeah. champion <laughs> right yeah um i want to save my money better yeah because i'm have not been great at that yeah i want to learn to cook more mm. and uh, i want to go to switzerland by the way, I want you guys to envision this. Caitlin has little pink kickboxing <laughs> gloves, and she goes and does kickboxing for like two to four hours every day. So yeah. she's really working hard. You well, know. not today, though. She's out there sweating today. She slept in. And, and <laughs> she's very grumpy. <laughs> anyway, so those are your goals, Caitlin. Here are some of mine. My book goal is a little more modest than yours because I read like six books this year. Okay, well, <laughs> I feel like that's more than last year, at least. Yeah, so I want to read a book a month. Okay. Yeah. So we're, like, restarting that goal. Yeah, we're restarting that goal. Okay. I want to consistently eat well, because I feel like sometimes I eat really well for a long time, and then I will, like... Uh, go off the deep end. Go off the deep end <laughs> and have, like, really... Not just, like... Um, I don't mean, like, carb-filled food. I mean, like, just junk food. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. So there's that. Um, I want to learn to make sushi. Yeah, you've been, uh, randomly the last week, you've decided yeah. sushi. Because Hamster, my mother, that's her nickname, Hamster, used to make sushi all the time, and I feel like I can do it. I, so yeah. I ordered the, the sushi mat and everything. Um, I want to empty out my closets. because oh, I feel like good one. You know, my apartment is pretty immaculate. Uh-huh. But, oh, whoa, whoa, okay. Oh, all right. right. My apartment is immaculate. <laughs> um, but the uh, <laughs> closets are like my like portrait of Dorian Gray, like the yeah. secret. Like, I kind of yeah. feel the same way. I feel like I need to go through my stuff and figure out what what I can get rid of. Um, I want to go to Tokyo. That's my place. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, Caitlin, I want to dive right into our weekly interview, but first I have a little treat for you. Every week we do a segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about Human rights. Mm -hmm. Today's news comes from Botswana, a large nation just above South Africa, where a high-profile legal battle for LGBTQIA plus rights has been boiling since 2019. So, here's the good news. A few weeks ago, a Botswana appeals court upheld a ruling that effectively decriminalized gay sex, making it so that queer people there can no longer be penalized for going about their daily lives. The decision has been hailed as a huge step forward for Botswana. The country now joins Angola, Cape Verde, Gabon, Guinea-Bissau, Lesotho, Mozambique, and other African nations in making room for queer life. Now, before this ruling was first made in 2019, engaging in gay sex in Botswana was punishable by up to seven years in prison. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for queer people and communities there. 
but I'm so happy that there has been a change, especially when I see the celebrations that have erupted around this new step forward. According to Reuters, members of the gay community at the court in Botswana wore rainbow-colored masks to mark the occasion and reacted with loud cheers and even tears of joy when the decision was handed down. So, Caitlin, I think that this is good news, not just for the people of Botswana, but I think it's a signal to the world. It shows us that change is possible. There are still many nations all over the world where queer people are penalized for being themselves, and the United States certainly has a lot of changes to make when it comes to caring for queer citizens. But progress is possible, and it's happening. I feel like it's a good story to go with our uh, kind of goals episode you know what i mean it's like a goal of the greater world should be to just accept queer people you know i know it's something that i feel as a queer person and i'm sure you see a lot of queer people doing this in the community where we have a feeling like it's going to be stuck a certain way forever or we're going to be um battling against the same things forever And I think it's important to remember that progress can happen. It's happened in this country. More progress will happen. And it can happen other places. Yeah, Yeah, and I think there's still so much work to do that sometimes that's all people get stuck on Mm -hmm. is how much work there is to do. Yeah. And I feel like we have to remember to take a moment and, like, let the wins be celebrated. Yeah. And then get back to, you know, working on more change. But... Sometimes people just don't even take the time to celebrate the wins and the progress that is happening because there is still so much work. But I think it's a good reminder to, like, take a breath and, you know, recognize the wins when they happen. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of Blair Imani and Sophia Lee. Yeah, who are so optimistic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And are just happy about any and all change happening, and they use that to To fuel fuel them in in a really positive way. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for finding this story. This is really amazing, and I hope it brings some joy into the lives of our listeners. But for now, Caitlin, it's time to take a little break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Hands down, we <laughs> love reviews, don't we, Caitlin? We love them. I feel like we repeat this every single time about how much we love them, but it's just the facts. Yeah. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show. And we have a slew of them to get through, so I can't wait to share them all. But now, it's time for our weekly interview. As usual, I am extremely excited to welcome our guest. We're going to be interviewing Victoria Scone. 
or scone, as they say in the UK. Scone is a fantastically talented drag queen who hails from Cardiff in Wales, first and foremost. But she's also a groundbreaking figure because she is the first cisgendered woman to compete on RuPaul's Drag Race. And that means that she's a cisgendered woman who performs as a drag queen. You got it. A woman who dresses up as a woman. And Scone's time on Drag Race was cut short by an injury, but everyone is praying that she'll be welcomed back to another season. Today, Scone is a touring artist, an influencer, an icon in my eyes. But as she puts it, she's simply a celesbian. So, Victoria, welcome to the show. Where are you now? What are you doing? And how are you doing? Hello, darling. How are you? I'm very good. Oh, I just want to let the audience know that we are talking and we can see each other. You can't see uh, you can't see us. We're both fully in pajamas. And uh, I have a ding on my forehead because I was gesturing wildly at Caitlin before this and I cut my own face with my own fingernail. So just to let you know, drag isn't all glamour all the time. You've just spoiled the illusion. We've got to make the pretend we're in full drag here. Okay, we're in full <laughs> Elizabethan drag. <laughs> we're eating cakes, we're sipping tea, with a little spot of gin in it. Is that a thing? I am having gin, but oh, okay. I'm currently in my flat in Cardiff, uh, my apartment with my girlfriend, and we are sorting through all the old shit from my drag room. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to put up a few Christmas decorations because we have not really yet until today. And it is midway through December, so we're a bit late, really. But we're just women on the go. We're just busy ladies. I see your, on your Instagram that you're constantly touring and going in and out of bars and clubs and hospitals. And I just kind of <laughs> want to know... <laughs> You've just come off a season of RuPaul's Drag Race UK, and which is, mm. I think, the best version of RuPaul's Drag Race. So I want to know what is what is your life like? And people ask me this question all the time, and it kind of irritates me. But I realize that it is sometimes important to appreciate how much your life changes once you've been on the race. Mm, it does a lot. Maybe even... I can't say because from other people's experience, but maybe even more so for me because I was really not taken seriously at all in drag before Drag Race. It was in it's incredibly hard for anyone to start in drag, but I would say from personal experience, even harder for a cis woman or, or someone that's not considered the norm to start in drag and then to continue getting booked. And when you say yeah. you weren't taken seriously, now you know what it's like to be taken seriously a little more. Mm. What... What was it that made you feel like you weren't taken seriously when you were working before the race? I would see sort of cis male drag queens that started at the same time as me or after me just sort of soaring ahead with their bookings. Um, basically, <sighs> bookings is like a currency in drag. It's like, where are you working? How much are you getting paid? Everyone talks. So, yeah, I just wasn't getting booked. Or if I was, it was under a, a lower pay or I would take it would get me you know longer to get paid uh, I was just treated with less respect than my other drag queen um comrades that's such an important issue to cover which is something that we are going to cover a little later in this interview but now I just want to talk about something that will make you happy instead we'll dive into mm -hmm. that in a minute is it food <laughs> 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 We're going to talk about <laughs> scones and clotted cream. Um, <laughs> what I want to ask you is, do you have fans tell you how much you've inspired them when you go around touring? I know that 
it's one of the best parts of touring for me and for a lot of queens. And I just want to know the kind of positive responses that you've gotten from people. Uh, well, when they can get a word in Edways, because Ginger talks so much in the bloody meet and greet, doesn't she? <laughs> for reference, Cracker and I, we've just come up to a, we did a lovely Halloween tour, didn't we, darling? That's where we Yes, we did. Yes. And um, Ginger loves a chat in a meet and greet, Ginger Minch. <laughs> You couldn't tear her away from the fans. No, it's not. It's a lovely treat to have. Whereas you and I are just stood there like comatose. We don't understand a show that's not all about us. We don't understand that. (laughs) Um, But yes, definitely. Um, uh, So many, uh, not even just women, but specifically women or non-binary people, trans women, uh, tell me how much my participation in the show and the casting... um, on the show means a lot to them and how they they see themselves reflected in in me um and it's very touching you know makes it it does make it all very worthwhile um it's very bizarre because I never thought that this was gonna be the case for me I never thought this was gonna happen it's just it's been thrust upon me um I've spoken about how I sort of applied so season three was the first time I applied and obviously got on but I kind of applied just so I could say I'd applied and oh, they see women are applying and they're not having them on. <laughs> I got yeah. <laughs> so, you know, careful what you were short down. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty crazy that, that these people are sort of looking up to me as this, as this icon now, this celesbian. <laughs> right. And <laughs> she deserves it because she can sing, she can dance, she can host, and she's proven all of these things and she's more yet to prove. So mm. I feel like those are some softball questions that you could get in any interview. But now I want to jump to my favorite part of the interview, which is where I hit rewind a little bit and talk about the story of your life. I want to talk about young scone when you were still just flour and butter. You were born (laughs) in Portsmouth in the UK. What was your childhood like? What was your family like? Um, Very supportive parents um but they sort of wanted me well my mum definitely wanted me to be thrust into the world of musical theatre and dance um so, you know obviously I've got the physique of a ballerina um naturally so it's, it's mad that it didn't happen for me uh, but yeah she wanted me to be in um on the west end you know it hasn't happened yet but you never know darling but um yeah so I was thrust into dance lessons from the age of three uh, singing lessons, guitar lessons, everything that they could have me do that was theatrical. Um, but I've always said that, you know, it didn't work out for me. And um, it's it's it caused me some very unhappy times with sort of struggling with my weight when I went to dance college and musical theatre college. But, you know, I've, I've never been able to escape it because it's such a big part of drag. As you said, I'm a singer, I'm I'm an entertainer, and I wouldn't be the performer I am now if it wasn't for all those dance lessons and staring at myself in a mirror in tights and crying. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So yeah, I I always describe it as like Stockholm syndrome. Like you fall in love with your oppressor, you know, (laughs) like it's it's done horrible things to me, but I can't escape it. I am, I am truly in love with musical theater and dance. Performance is not the only important part of your identity. You are very proudly a lesbian, a lesbian. Big fat dyke. <laughs> Who you are is entwined with your sexuality. You have a beautiful partner, Danny. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, when did you begin to realize that that was part of who you were? And what was that like? I think I knew I sort of self-identified as bisexual maybe when I was like 14, 15. Um, 
but I think I was terrified to come out. So my dad is a policeman. Not that that means that he would be any less supportive, but I think at the time it, it, it was sort of very conservative. Like it just wasn't really an option in my mind to talk about it. I'd had, I'd had a boyfriend from when I was like 15, 16. And I kind of just then hopped onto more other boyfriends to try and distract from my queerness maybe I'm not really sure I was totally in denial internalized homophobia and all these things that I just I had to be this like couldn't like woman that goes with man and has babies one day and then eventually I realized I really really didn't want to do that that was really the last thing I wanted to do um but that was that was really really late into my life so I didn't come out to my parents and really openly until I was 26 really really late yeah really 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 <laughs> um yeah and I, I wish I'd come out sooner but again I if I had then maybe I wouldn't have met Danny so everything happens for a reason and I'm wildly happy with um my situation now um with my partner she's the best thing that could have possibly happened to me she's she looks after me very well I don't know what I did in a past life to deserve her but I must have saved someone's life <laughs> because she is an angel, as you know. I love seeing you together and I love seeing lesbian life represented. Because it's not enough. It's not enough. Caitlin and I will tell you, we think that there should be more exposure for lesbian life mm-hmm. and more thanks given to the lesbians that run drag as well, whether it's on mm-hmm. stage or behind the scenes. We are the glue of this community. Yes, absolutely. Which makes me want to ask when were you first exposed to drag and what you drew you to it I mean obviously you're a performer so there's that but well I was in pantomimes from a very very young age now I know that pantomimes are like (laughs) not really over in the states right you don't really yeah could you explain for our American (laughs) listeners what a pantomime is a panto A panto, right. It's very unusual. Um, <laughs> each one is different and unique in its own way. Uh, usually um, like a fairy tale, like Cinderella or Sleepy Beauty or or Aladdin. Um, and it, it's it's all very tongue-in-cheek, a little bit naughty, but it is, it is for the kids. It's for families. Um, and there's usually some main characters that are drag queens. In every pantomime, there is a drag queen of some sort. Yeah, not in like a beautiful sense. Like usually they'll have like blue smear across their eyes and a bit of pink across the lips, and that's it. And they've got a wig on. Right. I have all these jokes to make from that, but I'll just leave it alone. <laughs> so Come my on. drag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> uh, and it's all just a bit silly. And usually, you know, there's like sweets thrown as the audience, water cannons. Like it's all just a big fun mess and there's sayings mm-hmm. that everyone learns while you watch pantos like oh he's behind you and oh no he isn't and things like that it's just yeah. very british a little bit problematic um but we love it <laughs> and i just love pantos and that's sort of the first time that i've been exposed to drag queens and probably in the most british way possible is to be via a pantomime and i think that's why my drag is so large large and extravagant and usually about food as well there's lots of like food-based costumes I feel like (laughs) I'm missing this piece of my life by not having pantos in my life so you had to mother yourself a little bit yeah but um, I mean it takes a village it does I did did meet an awful lot of supportive people along the way especially when I moved to Wales Uh, in the UK maybe you would think that the old school gals you know that are still warbling I will survive um, that they would hate the idea of um, like a cisgendered woman trying to trying to get into the into this industry, but really the the Welsh 
old school traditional drag queens took me under their wing and helped me an awful lot. And once they could see the passion that I have for drag and how I'm, I'm just an entertainer exactly like they are. Um, and, and it's all an illusion. It's a heightened character. It's not necessarily about gender at all or what's, you know, between your legs that has nothing to do with it. Then they, they understood me more and they wanted to help me more. And they did do that. I wonder, was there a particular gig that stands out in your mind where you knew that you were making that impression on people you're like oh tonight i showed them that i'm i'm here there was this one event that i always remember um in cardiff it was when my mum had come to see me for the first time with her best friend and my mum is my mum's like a skinnier more attractive version of me basically that's the only difference between us <laughs> that she's just <laughs> more attractive somehow looks younger um, and she met this gay choir on the train from like Bournemouth to Cardiff or something like that. And they were like, oh, we're, we're going to Cardiff too for this gay choir, like awards or this, there was like gay choirs from all over the country. And she was like, oh, well, we're going to see my daughter. She's a drag queen in this bar called Wow Bar. And they were like, oh, well, like, maybe we'll come along. I kid you not, Cracker, like 500 gay men from like seven different choirs came to this tiny little bar. <laughs> and I, w- I was just doing like an hour cabaret and it turned into like a three hour like karaoke. They were joining me on stage. We were doing like Greatest Showman, but I was the star of the show. Like each choir just kept coming up and wanting to sing songs all night. It was like the best gig of my life. You could not have fit another toddler in that venue. It was packed and my mum had somehow made this happen like the one day that she'd come up to see me it was just the best gig ever that was that was really amazing and I just remember the the, the manager was so happy and like the older drag queens was like this is amazing because they they didn't care that you know I was uh, you know starting out in drag as a cis woman they just saw an entertainer and a host that was giving them a good night and they loved it I think that within the drag community it's a lot easier to conceptualize a cisgendered woman doing drag because I think for drag queens you're right we look at someone and if they're entertaining if they can serve something then we accept it more but I think outside the drag community it's a little harder to understand and I've been talking to family members and friends that were having difficult difficulty conceptualizing it and I I even ran across this book that I sent you a picture of there's this children's book about RuPaul's life and it defined it said RuPaul started out doing drag and drag is when someone dresses up as the opposite gender and uh, uh, so I think that there's even among people who are fans of drag, this c- conception that it has to be uh, a swap of some kind. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about those misconceptions. Uh, one of my favorite ones is, do you not have to wear as much makeup because you are a, a woman performing as a woman and do you not have to pad? Is it a lot less work? Because do you know what I mean? Like all these things. And I was wondering what are some of the misconceptions that people ask you about or talk to you about? Mm, I think you've, you've hit a few on the head there. It's people that have made you know comments online like, oh, it's so much easier for you. How is it even drag? Like you're, you're just a woman with more makeup on. Like, I mean, you're looking at me right now. Like I, I never wear makeup out of drag <laughs> ever I look like a truck driver <laughs> um and <laughs> like the other week I was in a tech run for a show and then I went to the hotel to get ready it came back and the tech person literally didn't recognize me they were like you cannot be the same person like they they couldn't 
fathom it. Like the the trans- yeah. it's about the transformation for me, and like there's a lot of drag that's starting in the UK now, which is lovely, and like you know, slend- slender young gentlemen are wanting to look like a feminine woman, you know, with a little wispy lash and a bit of eyeshadow, and they look like a beautiful lady. But you know, that's that's not necessarily like high camp drag to me, which is the drag that I love, where you know right. my eyebrows are drawn up to my hairline and my cut crease. You know, you could eat your dinner off it. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's my kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yes. But if Tia wouldn't mind me using her as an example. So Tia is a very popular drag queen, but she doesn't pad. She doesn't tuck because, you know, she's not really a dancer. She should just wear like tight pants. Um, she doesn't corset because she's very slender, so she doesn't need to. Whereas I'm larger, so I corset, I pad, I've got a massive vagina, so I have to tuck it away. No, very messy. <laughs> it's actually yeah. it's actually a problem when it comes to carry-on luggage at the airport. Yeah, exactly. We've run into it, yeah. It really reinvents the word fanny pack. Uh, <laughs> as you know, I wear an awful lot of makeup, but that is an interesting topic because I've spoken to other cis women drag queens or non-binary performers is that they feel they need to wear and I felt that I need to wear this huge extravagant clown makeup to prove a point that you know look I'm I'm really making a transformation and I'm kind of slowly getting over that a little bit because I was taking it very far like really clowning myself up basically and I love that kind of drag but maybe I don't think it's necessary I think I was just doing it because I felt I had to I've I've watched you go both ways you know I've seen you do very glam you did some very glam makeup for your recent ad campaign do you feel like as a cisgendered woman that you kind of have to be three times as good to make the headway as everybody else and you're nodding right now so I'm just going to say talk about that and what does that feel like (laughs) oh absolutely yes Definitely. You have to work three times as harder just to prove that you're on the same level. Like, I don't know if it's a mindset. I don't know if it's what I think has been projected onto me or what people have actually made me think. But you, you, I've always felt like, yeah, I have to work three times as harder. Um, I think maybe that's that's been proven by the fact that I didn't get booked as much. And I know that I am better or, you know, I sing better or I could do a longer set. And, you know, because some people can't talk on a mic at all, whereas I love talking on the mic and talk for hours. I don't know if it's because I've thought, well, you know, they can just get any drag queen. You know, there's a million drag queens lining up. Why would they want to take a chance on a cis woman when Mm. they've got to fill that bar that night? They've got to make sure that people stay in the bar. They want to guarantee they don't want something that someone might not like. Why would they take a risk? So I get it. Especially in like COVID times, because we are scrambling to keep bars open. You know, why would you take a risk when, you know, you can just have the same drag queen that you've had for years and everyone loves them? It's, but yeah, it's, it swings and roundabouts. We, we need to nurture upcoming drag so yeah. much because, you know, we, we think that drag race like sets the bar for drag. It doesn't. If we don't nurture our, you know, grassroots drag where it's actually happening, where, where real drag and people that need drag to have a career is happening, then there's nothing to go on drag race. I always think of this metaphor when people think about, when people ask me about how drag race has changed the drag scene, I always think of a metaphor of like a kindergarten classroom where you tell a bunch of kids, okay, draw anything you want to draw. And they're all having fun with their crowns and everything. And that's sort of what drag was like before drag race. And then if you tell the kids, well, the kid with the best picture gets to go to recess early. 
it sort of changes the tone of the whole situation and creates a different kind of competition that isn't sometimes as nurturing. Before, queens were working without the idea that they would ever get anything at all. And now they are working with the idea that they that they should get something, you know, and it it can, unless we change that, take away from the nurturing environment a little bit. I want to say about your your perception of the way people view cisgendered women in drag. I know that I have heard comments before where like, oh, well, she can just do makeup. You know, she can't really perform, which is not something that you would say about a uh, cis male queen. Like if she can do just makeup and that's it, then you're like work, you know? (laughs) And like they get, they get a pass. Then they're a look queen. But if you're a cisgendered woman and you're a look queen, then, well, you just, you're not quite a queen. You can't do it all. So I definitely don't think that it's, you know, in your perception. And I think that, of course, there are so many people that would, would agree with what you're saying. I, I wasn't, I didn't write this question down, but I have been seeing stuff about this on Instagram more and more lately. And so I wanted to ask you about it because we've talked about it. It has been for a very long time in drag. If you are looking particularly feminine to call a cis male queen fish or to say I can I can smell the fish. It is part of drag lingo. And you have a different reaction to it. And I want you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, it's it's wildly misogynistic as a phrase. And I understand that it, it might be drag lingo and, you know, passed around from, I don't know, the ballroom scene or uh, whatever. But for this particular thing, I do not care where it's come from. <laughs> this thing riles me up so much. Uh, it's literally not not used in the UK at all. Like, we're not allowed to say it um, in terms of on the show. So if anyone says it, that's one of the words that's like, bleeped out like we can't say mother f and like the c word i think there's other words you yeah. just can't say <clears throat> that is one of the words they just will not use it because it's on the bbc um i don't think people actually know what why they're saying it or what it means sometimes because basically it's if someone is looking feminine they say oh you look fish because a woman um their vagina has a fishy scent therefore you look like a real biological woman that's what the, that's what it's referring to and I just, I hate it. I just hate the saying so much. It makes me feel so uncomfortable um, and that people just say it and they don't even realise. There was, I won't say who, but someone said it on the show like so many times, it didn't go on TV, that I had to say, do you know that you, you shouldn't say that, right? And they were like, no, why? And they didn't know what they were, they didn't even know what it meant. They didn't know what the saying meant. So if you didn't know, it's really horrible and could potentially be making, you know, a friend or, or a colleague really uncomfortable. Yeah. They are in possession of a vagina or, you know, are not. Or are close to someone who has one. Yeah. No, I just thought I would bring that up because it was, it's so embedded in American lingo that I don't think I thought about it at all. And I think it's a wonderful education point if you are listening to this podcast to realize what you're saying and how you might make people feel if if you say that. I've been thinking about this theme for the podcast a lot 
which is what things can we do for people that are free? And one of the things that we can do for other people that's free is use language that makes everyone comfortable. I don't think there's any giant sacrifice in dropping a phrase or two if you're making people uncomfortable. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that a lot. You have made a path for yourself where like few ladies have been able to go. And I wonder if you have anything that you would say to young women who are trying to blaze a trail for themselves, not necessarily women who want to get into drag, cis women who want to get into drag, but just any young woman of any kind, women plus, who are looking to blaze a trail for themselves. Specifically lesbians as well. I will okay, continue, yeah. but specifically Please. lesbians, is that I, I personally love saying this out loud and I love how it sounds in my mouth, that there's nothing stronger than a woman that categorically does not need a man financially, emotionally, sexually. I do not need a man at all. And I, I don't need permission from a man or from a woman or for anyone to do anything. People come up to me and say, oh, you're, you know, you've you've inspired me so much. I, I didn't even know that drag was a possibility for me as a woman or as a non-binary person or as a trans person. I'm like, who do you need permission from? Please just do it. But I think that does relate to absolutely anything. Um, you don't need permission to do anything. Like there's that TikTok that's going around at the moment, like how dangerous is it that I as an adult, I'm just unsupervised all the time and no one's looking after me. <laughs> I feel like that every day <laughs> that yeah. no one is like, checking that I'm doing all right or like have I done my taxes like have I tidied my room have I washed my underwear I just have to do it and like <laughs> and have I done my underwear no absolutely not I'm just buying new ones <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> <Yes>. same <laughs> exactly uh so I think that's maybe relevant for everything it's like what are we waiting for why are we not just doing these things like we're wasting so much time like, you know, I wish I started drag earlier. I wish I came out earlier. Like, who was I waiting to tell? Who was I waiting for permission from? There is no one. It's just yourself. Like, get yeah. on with it, please. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's my advice. That's beautiful. And so I wonder, with that in mind, um, you have launched your own drag career. You've been on RuPaul's Drag Race. You've started touring. You're doing corporate work as well you're getting those those corporate dollars what's the <laughs> dream next what's the next step that you want to take i would really love to tour america um <laughs> well i want to tour the world i really want to do a work the world tour they look really okay fun. yeah um but I, I want to go on strictly i'd love to host tv um i just want to be an all-around lesbian really i'd love to be yeah. in pantos I'd love to be in the West End, but I, honestly, I'm not sure what role I would do now because I'd want to, I'd want to do it in drag. So you know, yeah, maybe someone will write me a role. <laughs> we have loved watching you do all the things that you have done. We have loved watching you on TV. I have loved being on tour with you and we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you for having me. All right, Caitlin, that was our interview for today. And we had a lot of nice garbage truck noise around in the background. I don't know if that came oh, through on the did. mic. we did. It's a Tuesday, you know? Yeah. Which I don't know if that means. It means there's a lot of garbage on Tuesdays, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so yes, that was our interview with Victoria Scone. And it was so lovely talking to her because we've been on tour with her. And it's just, it feels like seeing family again. Yeah, it feels like reconnecting with an old friend. I feel like I've learned so much from her. I've always said that drag can be 
an empowering and a wonderful thing to women, but I really get the perspective from her of what that feels like firsthand, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that you might not have ever realized were offensive. Mm-hmm. And different things that you never realized were empowering or, you know what I mean? And you can hear it from her as like, well, as someone that is a woman in the drag community, this is how it feels for me. Yeah. And um, basically, gay cis men are generally off the the mark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like they just, you know, they think they're getting it, but most times not quite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's made me change a lot of things that I do and it's also made me appreciate drag more so I really love talking to her today and I honestly can't wait to see what she do what she does next I hope she comes and uh, does a little show in New York or something that we can go to yep anyway enough about that it's time for us to take a little break okay we're back now I want to say this again If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. Caitlin, do you have a favorite review this week? I do. Uplifting and inspiring. I love listening to this podcast. The guests are diverse, fun, and the conversations are amazing. I also love the here's the good news segment at the beginning, especially when it's a story about an animal. Which we provide. We basically, I feel like 80% of them are animal stories. We like have to purposefully search for a story that's not about an animal because that is where our mind is going all the time and what generally comes across our feeds is animal news. (laughs) So it's nice to know that um, other people like the animal stories because they are also my favorite good news stories. So (laughs) thank you for supporting our obsession. We appreciate you. And listeners, if you want your review read here on the show, all you have to do is submit one and we will likely get to it. But enough about that. Because, Caitlin, it's time for the credits. Your favorite part. That's right. This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin and the sound of my little necklace. Tingly, tingly, tingly. <laughs> and the sound of garbage trucks. And the sound of garbage trucks. And it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71, who is now so all edit. Who is now so... <laughs> <laughs> How are we going to get through a bingo tonight when <laughs> you can't talk? And it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71, who edits it as well now. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's a woman! And I'll be with you. I feel like the editor is going to have a doozy of a time getting around all of my bubbles and stumbles. I feel like they are, it's their job, you know? Okay, they're trained to do it. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be okay. Oh, God. (laughs) Sounds like a crazy person.